Welcome to Around the Table, a new source for Christ-centered teaching and conversations from an apostolic Christian perspective. Grace. We sing about it. We hear sermons about it. We depend upon it. It's a core concept for the Christian, but it can be misunderstood. This episode explores some of the many facets of grace. Grace is important, and we acknowledge it all of the time, but sometimes we stop at the surface. In our conversation today, we'll explore what grace is and its importance in our salvation and lives. I'm John Wiegand from Silverton. I'm with Mike Lehman from Denver, and we're going to be thinking out loud about grace. Brother Mike, what are you thinking? Well, John, it's uh, it's an immense topic. There's there's a lot of things that are um, have been written about grace and that have been spoken about grace. And I will confess that it's it's been something challenging for me to wrap my head around. There's, there's a tendency maybe to think of it in simplistic terms and, and yet at other times to complicate it. I think, I think one of the things for me is to grasp the, the background, um, the, the, even the Greek word karis that, that, is the root of um, charisma. It, it's something that we can relate to in people. If somebody is, uh, has a lot of charisma, it's easy to be attracted to them. They, they, they project these beautiful qualities, and, and grace has always been associated with beauty, with the, this quality of nobility, of, of somebody who is different than than the norm rises above the norm. And so as a, as a big picture, um, I like to think of, of God in that way of, of having this charisma, this, this attraction and beauty that is, um, beyond human. And just as I listen to that, I I hear it. It's something that we can't see with our own eyes yet. We are impacted by his graciousness. And, you know, one of the first thoughts that come through my mind is, him drawing us to him, his, his love is such he drew us to him before we were aware of who he was and understood we were undeserving, yet he, he's there calling and drawing. And w- with that kind of graciousness, it, 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 it implies that he is going beyond what he would have to do. That as, as a righteous God, why would he want anything to do with a corrupted um, people who don't even exist hardly in the same plane with him? Uh, and yet in that graciousness, um, he saw the need and planned from the beginning to send Jesus as an expression of that graciousness, which for people who, who don't comprehend it, it, it could be human, very human to say, I'm not going to bother. It, it's very human to say, why did I do that? Why did I extend that grace? I'm done. And, and yet he continues to call, to invite, and to extend that same richness of mercy uh, that he would not have to. So can I try to package that thought and just 
try to put it into a few words. And what I'm hearing is grace is this God's expression, his, his purpose to accomplish for man. This is what he desires for us to accomplish the good things that we can't achieve of ourselves. It's not a reward for the good that we do or even our effort in doing good, but rather him seeing our need and his desire for relationship with us. He reaches out in grace, grace to rescue us from our failure and our helplessness and our inability that we can be what he desires us to be. So I think that, that, that captures it pretty well. The, the thing that I wrestle with is this, this distinction between what God does, how he expresses that graciousness, and the characteristic of grace itself. So uh, I'm not sure if this makes sense, but the very fact that God is love motivates him to be gracious. And in that graciousness, he extends mercy and he extends forgiveness. He, he invites us to be reconciled to him in this relationship that is a, a two-way relationship. In that graciousness, he extends to us his power. He extends to us the capability. Jesus said, believe on me for the very work's sake, but if you have faith, you will do greater works than these. And that can only occur through his power that he extends to us because he is gracious. So I think sometimes we tend to confuse grace with the mercy or the quality of graciousness with the power. But it is that underlying characteristic of God that impels him to share in ways that um, are supernatural. They're, they're beyond human. They are, they are from above. And we naturally, at least in my mind, I transition from this God is gracious to what's the impact and how does he act on his graciousness, these, these actions. And I, I hear that distinction that you're mentioning, recognizing that what we feel day to day is what he does. So we understand the concept of grace, but one of the things that we talk about is what we experience and what we feel. And my mind goes to one of our anchor thoughts, which is in Ephesians. So Ephesians 2.8 really takes us to that thought, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And to me, that really helps bring together the thought salvation, which God saves us because he's gracious. He reaches out to save us is by his grace. Amen. And, and even our faith is, is nurtured and encouraged and deepened by his help for us in, in ways that I don't know how to even put into words, but it's part of who he is that we can come to a degree of awareness of his, his care for us. And then somehow in that, he, he puts within us the desire 
to be like him and to in turn extend grace to others. And there's this, there's this perpetuation of salvation through his people who being formed in the image of God become gracious as well. I'm going to go off on a micro tangent. It may be a tangent here, but it may fit exactly in. It's the, the propagation that you're talking about here is God extends grace to us. And we, as we experience that, we, in our thankfulness and gratefulness, it motivates us in sharing with others. And that flow is, is absolutely there. But I went back to the impact of God's graceful grace on us individually and in it, he he's transforming us and this this outcome of he enables us to do more than we can do you talked about the power his power being one of the ways that his grace is manifested and so this notion of him assigning us and giving us tasks and responsibilities and then equipping us that we can actually do those tasks is part of his grace and just thinking of Paul as he was reflecting, saying, I'm an apostle, not because I deserve it, not because of me, but it's that grace that God provided made it so that these things can happen. And if I'm expressing anything good about it, it's because God's working through me to his honor and glory. Yeah. I have this picture, and I'm not sure if I can put it into words, but I have this picture um, of a person who's never been a dancer, of watching two dancers uh, gracefully move together. And uh, the, the one partner is maybe not all that experienced and trips all over themselves, but the, the expertise and the grace of the other is capable of managing that and of enabling the, the the flow back and forth between them to coordinate in a way that uh, results in a, in a beautiful outcome, uh, but is entirely dependent on the grace of the one who is leading. And sometimes we get in the way of God. We tend to want to lead in that dance, if you will, rather than follow him. So Mike, just share a little bit more about how our behaviors, how we can be in a place that lets God's graciousness have the, the right impacts. What, what kind of things are important for us to, to internalize and to do? Well, if we use that analogy, um, the, if, the, if the one who lacks expertise attempts to um, drive the, the movement, it's kind of arrogant and, and it doesn't work very well. So, so clearly there's a, a need to be self-aware, a need to be cognizant that we do not have the abilities in and of ourselves that enable us to know what's best. And that humility says we need to draw near to him. We, we need to connect with him. We need to 
allow him to have that leading impact on our life. So that implies following. It implies submission. It, it implies a meekness that says, Lord, do with me what you will. And I'm willing to speak. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to do. I'm willing to sit here and wait. But I need your lead. And if, if we are humble, I think he will, in his grace, provide us with what we have need of. This expression of humility as dependence, us reaching out to him as our, as our father, he knows. And then we, we surrender. And as he leads, we, we then um, follow by his grace as he helps us navigate through those situations. They're not all situations that we like, are they? So those experiences that we encounter along the way, it's not about navigating in this comfortable path always, but it's with him to his honor. And it's always in faith. In, in, In Hebrews, we read about faith sometimes having these wonderful, amazing results of the dead being raised to life and so forth. And then we read of others who had faith who were sawn asunder and were destitute and afflicted. And, um, but it was always about faith. And I think that's another element that is critical, that if we have the faith that the Lord is leading and he knows where he's going, we are able to follow that lead with confidence as opposed to holding back and being an anchor on, on the lead dancer, so to speak. I wonder sometimes how many times I've made the situation clumsier than it needed to be um, because I was reluctant to follow God's lead. There's this interesting uh, loop that we can get ourselves in sometimes where in our recognition of God's goodness, we can get confident in ourselves and quit paying attention to the lead. So we, we start in this good place, appreciating his goodness, and then we our, our eye leaves the place it needs to, and we feel the goodness and then start on our own, only then t- to recognize again who he is and be brought back. Yeah. There have been times where I've prayed, Lord, when I get in that position, guide me anyway. If I start to rely on my own self and I'm unaware in the moment because things are busy, because there's pressure, be my guide. Help me to help me to follow appropriately. Give me the awareness I need as well. But you've equipped me with whatever gifts and talents I have. And I don't ever want to run in front and think that I'm the expert because it, it all comes from you. But I don't want to be reluctant to be useful either and fearful. So help me to have that sweet spot of um, walking in humility and in, in receiving your grace. That, that faith prayer that, that Jesus asked of the, the man there said, do you believe if you have faith, all things are possible? And he said, I believe help thou my unbelief. And that is that same expression. We believe Yet we need help. Yeah, and his continued guidance and encouragement through this. I'm humble, but help help me to uh, help me in my pride to be humble. One of the things that helps me when I think about a topic is I 
consider places where I misunderstand or mishear or, or have connected it wrong. Are there any elements that come through your mind of ways that grace is, is there, but, but we can kind of get oriented in a, on a tangent as opposed to, to hearing the, the truth of what grace is? Yeah, I think there's, there's a tendency sometimes to view um, the truth that we are saved by grace as being somewhat decoupled from what the results of that salvation should be. And the, the emphasis on salvation by grace can undermine the intent of that salvation. The overemphasis of our need to respond to God's grace can result in a lack of awareness that it is his graciousness that sent Jesus in the first place that was willing to deliver himself to death on our behalf. So there's, there's this extreme at both ends and I don't feel like I'm articulating it very well, but grace should never be a license to sin and works should never be a substitute for grace. Well, well said. And Paul just took that journey in Romans to express those various misperceptions, didn't he? When he he started off said, because we desire grace, should we be active in sin? To to tap into that superabundant. God forbid. Absolutely not. So we, we recognize that desire to not sin, but then do we fall into this desire to be oriented about ourselves and doing doing it? So our focus, our our self, our self-will to overcome sin, leaving grace out of it, which goes to that thought of then salvation would be by by what we do, by works, which it's absolutely not. So that's a a miss as well. And he says, trust in me, not, not to sin um, and, and not to trust in ourselves or, or our self-righteousness or apparent righteousness, but to lean on him and be empowered by, by his, his grace and his graciousness within us. So I don't know if this is valuable or not, but if, if I can explore that just a little bit, the, the, the use of, of the word or of, of, of our understanding of grace in that context um, can imply that it is the grace itself that gives us the power. And I wonder, I think one of the thoughts in my mind is, if we understand grace as the characteristic of God that allows him and, and motivates him to extend his mercy or power it, it, it can change the language and the way that we discuss things. It is the grace of God. Salvation is by grace through faith. It, it came to us by God's grace. It's received through faith, which is a gift from him in his graciousness. But the salvation itself is the resurrection of Jesus after having shed his blood on the cross. And so it, grace is kind of this conduit that, that through which God shares 
the gift of the Holy Spirit through which he shares with us all that we don't deserve. But sometimes we think of the grace itself as being the object. And that might be more confusing than what it's worth. But if, if we understand that the power of God is very real and we can receive power that he's willing to share because he is gracious, in, in my mind, that changes a little bit of my understanding about this, this nebulous term grace no longer becomes this kind of mystical thing, but it is, it is the mechanism by which God shares a very real thing and brings to life what forgiveness is or what the ability to overcome sin is this, this dynamic that he shares with us of you can do greater works than what Jesus did. And if I, if I understand the, the terminology correctly, it helps me put it into practice. It helps me tap into the power and, and into his mercy in a way that if I have this mystical notion it, it's almost a barrier sometimes to really trusting God or knowing God in the way that I think he wants us to because of his graciousness. Right. His, his graciousness has transformed who we are, and then he desires our lives to reflect that in, in all of our interactions. So that, that call that, that we, as, as his people, are intended, and I don't know if this is a misuse of the, of the word, as well, but we're intended to take on that character and have those attributes as his followers as well. So it becomes part of us in reflection, not because it's us, but in reflection in our interactions with others. It's interesting that there are a lot of words translated in the King James version of the Bible in ways that are not grace. Um, and sometimes it's it's helpful to to picture these other ways that the translators attempted to to capture some of those ideas. So in some things he he translates now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. The thanks in there comes from the very same Greek word as grace. And thank worthy and thanks appears more than once. So somehow grace. We understand graciousness when we are thanking a host. We are being gracious to them. And and that's not a mistake. It's not misaligned at all. Peter says, for what glory is it when, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. This is charis with God. It's grace with God. So so grace is a two-way street. We are We are called to to exhibit that thanksgiving, acting in a way that is not required of us, but out of the goodness of our heart tolerates persecution or abuse. Paul says, when I come, them, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. Liberality is the same word. Um, it's this graciousness toward others in sharing. So I, I don't know if that's what you're talking about when you talked about letting it flow through us as well. But those are things that I see. 
I hear this again, it is grace. The, the word that is surfaced is different. And in my mind, what's going through my mind is our grace response is grace. And so yes. our, as, as we experience grace, what comes out of us is, is these kind of things, this, this generosity from the Lord, this uh, thankfulness for, for who he is that we can be with him, this confidence that, that he knows and is ours. In, in older forms of English, the, the word graces was, was frequently used. Um, the various graces were basically virtues. And if when we exhibit that graciousness, it is accomplishing God's work in the way that he would accomplish it. And that's humbling. If you think about him putting in us the ability to do things the way that he would do them, it's just amazing to me. In fact, that expression um, reflects his graciousness and the impact on us, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. God's graciousness implied to us to his honor. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening. Around the Table is a production of Onward Media, a communications ministry of the Apostolic Christian Church of America.